Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, this is episode 700, which is a fairly big milestone for this podcast. I was wondering what to do for this episode. But then my cousin Oliver suggested that he interview me for an episode of Marooned With My Music. Now, you might not be familiar with this podcast series, Marooned With My Music. Long-term listeners might remember that I have done three previous episodes using this theme, one with my dad, one with my mum, and one with my brother James, and they are episodes 248, 250, and 252, if you'd like to find them in the archive and listen. So the concept of Marooned With My Music is very similar to the concept of an extremely successful and long-running BBC Radio 4 programme called Desert Island Discs. Many of you will be familiar with it, I'm sure. You can find the Desert Island Discs podcast and stuff and find all of the interviews that they've done on it. So the concept of Marooned With My Music is very similar. In fact, to be honest, the concept is basically exactly the same. But I thought that I should rename it, at least, and and I've renamed it Marooned With My Music, just so that it's not a totally blatant copy. So the concept is uh, that the guest on the show is going to be marooned on a desert island okay marooned means you know left there on their own a desert island is an island where there are no people usually a small uh, island somewhere that they're going to live like tom hanks in the film castaway it's just an imaginary thing of course nobody actually gets sent to a remote desert island it's just an imaginary thing but the guest imagines that it's happening and they are set a task they can choose just eight records to rescue and take to the desert island eight you know music records and i suppose a record player plus they can choose one book and one luxury item of their choice to be left on the desert island with okay so during the interview the guest is asked to explain their musical choices while also assessing their life up to that point before waving farewell to everyone and living the rest of their days on a desert island. It's quite an odd concept, but the thing is, it works. Desert Island Discs is pretty much a national British institution, and there are many, many episodes in the BBC archives. So being able to do your own Desert Island Discs is a great privilege, and so it's very nice of Oliver to suggest it. 
So Oliver is the guest interviewer and I am the interviewee in this case. I hope you enjoy listening to me talk about my life and some of my favourite pieces of music and that you don't find this all too self-indulgent or anything. So we're going to start in just a second. During this call, Oliver was in California where he lives and I was in Paris. For him, it was the end of the day and he was about to go to bed. But for me, it was the beginning of the day and I'd just got up and I was talking to Oliver before everyone else had got up. So it was like 6.30 in the morning for me. But anyway, let's just imagine now that I'm going to be plucked from my normal life and put on a desert island. But before that happens, I'm going to have one last interview to talk about my life as a whole. I hope you consider it worthy of your attention. So let's begin Marooned with my music. Welcome to Maroon with my music. I'm very honoured to be a guest host on this week's podcast. And even though I'm a Thompson, I'm obviously a poor stand-in for Luke. But it's for a good reason, because Luke today is the guest on his own podcast for his 700th episode, I believe. So Luke Thompson is a man of many talents, many interests, many cultures, a musician, a teacher, a podcaster, a comedian, a very good impressionist, a husband and a father, and of course, a cousin, importantly to me. And I'm very honoured to find out more about Luke's life through the music that is most precious to him today. So welcome, Luke, to your own podcast. Thank you. This is very odd. First of all, being interviewed on my own podcast, but also having to choose eight songs in this episode of Marooned with My Music. I mean, it's kind of a cultural milestone, isn't it? Is that the right phrase? This This radio show format? And having to choose eight songs is extremely difficult, frustratingly so, where you realize that you're, you're narrowing things down to only eight songs. Somehow it feels like I've lost most of the, the good stuff and I've had to hack it all down to only eight things. But still, it's, it's always impossible to choose only eight songs, isn't it? Especially if you love music. Tell me, how, how did you approach the, the task? So I decided that I would try to pick songs that represent periods of my life, but I haven't really done that very successfully because while also doing that, I wanted to pick songs that I just love and that are meaningful to me in some way. So some things relate to different periods of my life, but then other other things are just bits of music I love and I'm going to have to try and shoehorn them into my life story in some way. I don't know if I can do that, but anyway... The, the great sort of characters on, on Desert Island Discs, that, that series, have, have more than one appearance. So maybe you can give <laughs> another chance to follow up. I suppose so. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, listen, let's, let's talk about where you are now in your life. So you're living in Paris mm-hmm. with your wife and daughter. That's right. You're recording a very popular, award-winning podcast. And you're spending your time, you're still, you know, doing comedy when, when global pandemics allow. But tell me, are you in a, are you in a good place in your life? Have you arrived at somewhere that you're content? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there are times in your life, and you maybe you will share this this feeling, especially when you are in your twenties or something like that, where you are trying to imagine what your life is going to be. You're trying to picture what you're going to do with yourself. You're trying to work out what kind of person you'll be when you're in your you know you're approaching your mid 40s adulthood proper adulthood is sort of a thing that you don't really know how to do you don't know what it's going to be like you don't know how what shape it will be or how you're going to get there but if i was if i was 20 something again and i looked at myself now i think i'd actually be pretty chuffed so obviously living in paris is is kind of extraordinary i never really expected this to go out to get my lunch or to go to the post office and wow, I'm in Paris and look, there's the Eiffel tower. There's the opera house. And it's like, this is bizarre on a daily basis. I've been here for, gosh, is it nine years now? Something like that, nearly nine years. And it's still every day. It feels weird. Like what am I doing living in Paris? But that's cool. That's a really good feeling. Also. Yeah. So I'm married and I've got a child, which is also like how did that happen how did who 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 agreed to be with me and to let that happen so i feel sort of very lucky that in a sense i've made it to this position and it and it, everything's kind of going okay i don't know how i did it i don't know what happened maybe over the last 10 or 15 years but things seem to sort of slot into place also doing doing a podcast which is kind of the main thing i do now is a total dream come true i mean it's extraordinary Thank God for the internet because, um, say, when I was a teenager and I was leaving school or doing my A-levels or going to university, I had no idea that this could have been a possibility. And yet it is a dream come true because I always imagined or hoped or dreamed about having my own radio show. It's always been a kind of a, a little fantasy of mine ever since James, my brother, and and I used to play around with cassette recorders you know those old cassette recorders from the 80s yeah you'd have a radio and there was a tape player with a record button you could record songs off the radio but often they'd have a little inbuilt microphone in them you could select the microphone and then you could record yourself so we used to record our own little radio shows and adverts and 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 things like that and it was always lots of fun but yeah somehow i managed to get into broadcasting sort of through the back door in some way where I just kind of did it myself. So thank God for podcasting. I'm very happy with that development in the world that podcasts are a thing because it totally gave me an option in my life, which is perfect. I do think all the things you did kind of led to this place in terms of stand-up comedy, teaching, playing in bands, you know, the things you did when you were a kid. And it is like the perfect medium for all the things that you like to do. And Studying media, studying culture at university. I did actually, I said I didn't do a lot of work experience, but I did do quite a few work experience placements in production companies. I spent a week at a weather, uh, a, a little company that produced weather reports for regional TV stations. So they had just like you, the way that they do weather reports on TV, they had like a little studio and, and the presenters would describe the, what was going on on the map and they had a monitor. So they were just basically, they would make weather reports. They designed the graphics to show the weather, you know, giving summaries of the weather reports and there'd be a person in the studio, you know, giving directions and stuff. And so I spent a week there. And they even like got me to do a weather report offline. I mean, I wasn't on TV, but they kind of did it and they filmed it and stuff. 
And so I did a few of those things. So it was, I was, was always kind of somehow thinking I'm going to get into broadcasting, but the kind of, what was it that stopped me? I I'm not sure really. I felt like the world was a bit intimidating, the kind of job market. And at the time I wasn't sure of myself at all. I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I was. I wasn't confident. And so I wasn't able to capitalize on those work experience placements. Plus the fact that my dad, made his career in broadcasting and working for the BBC. I felt a bit like I was in his shadow and like, you know, he, he helped me get work experience placements. So every time I walked into some company, they were like, Oh yeah, we know your dad. And so I always wanted to do my own thing. And yeah, I still wanted to do broadcasting. So I sort of, ended up doing it like this Funny, isn't it the, the, it was water flows in one direction it was just it was destiny it was meant to happen it was so listen we, we're gonna get comes your first disc now what's your first musical selection for us my first musical choice so i wanted something to sort of summarize my early childhood you know my my childhood days which were spent playing messing around making homemade radio shows with my brother, watching lots of classic films that we had on VHS, like Star Wars, playing with toys, playing with Star Wars figures, and generally having a pretty wonderful time. I mean, we grew up in the 80s, and I was thinking that may be the best time in all of human history. Uh, certainly, if you live in if you lived in England, it was one of the best times in all of human history to grow up because we had some technology. It was pretty basic stuff, but we had things like videos and some basic computer games and things. But the technology wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like the internet where it dominates everything in your life. So we lived a very simple, innocent sort of existence, but with lots of cool stuff like good toys, games, films, and things, and in a relatively safe, stable situation it's not like the environment was all going wrong or at least we didn't know about it no issues with with you know all the trouble that comes with the internet and kids these days and i just feel like it was pretty amazing so the song that i've chosen is is by madness which is i think the band that it's like my family's band we all love the beatles but somehow madness seems to sum up or represent the spirit of of, of being in my family certainly in the 80s and the song is called the return of the lost palmas seven which is an instrumental track but i just love the song it's just got a timelessness to it and uh it's fun and it's funny as well it's kind of comedic especially if you watch the video so it makes me think of the video which is a sort of like a a montage of so many clips of different things there's like little clips from star wars in the video i don't know how they got away with that and various other little images and generally it's just a great tune and it just represents the sort of innocence and fun of my childhood days and this will always remind me of that feeling listening to this Plus, I love the bass line. I know my dad loves this. So that's the first song. Madness, The Return of the Lost Palmas 7. Let's have a listen. <laughs>
Okay, that was Return of the Lost Palma 7 by Madness. Your first choice. So let's go back now. You, you talked about your childhood in the 80s, the sort of the, the best period to be a kid in the in recent history, as you say. But what was, how would you describe your home life then? What was it, what was it like? There was you, you're, you're the youngest of two, so it was you, your brother. Yeah. Was it loud? Was it raucous? Was it calm? I mean, I, I remember it being fairly calm. I don't, it didn't seem that chaotic. Having three kids in the family, like for you, you know, you, your two sisters, I expect that was a lot more chaotic and loud and people trying to get their voice heard and stuff like that. In my family, yeah, there was probably loudness when the two of us played together, but generally everything was pretty calm. My mum likes to keep a calm house. My dad too. I mean, he, he, he was working quite a lot. He would, he was the foreign news editor at the BBC for a while uh, during that period. So he would kind of sometimes disappear to, to different countries and come back bearing uh, interesting gifts. He went to Hong Kong and he came back with these two little computer game things. My brother got like a big plastic yellow space invaders, um, type game. And I got one of those Nintendo game and watch things. Do you remember those? game and watch it was like a little it was supposed to be sort of an alarm clock you could put the uh, next to the bed but you could pick it up and play a game on it it was the very 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 early version of a game boy but it was only one there was only one game in it and so i had the game a game and watch that my dad got but yeah home life was it was sort of you know looking back on it it was kind of idyllic i don't remember much drama or trouble no more than normal in a, you know, for children, it was just great. It was just a really good, comfortable, loving environment. I couldn't really ask for more. I think it was a wonderful time to be alive. What kind of influence did your did your parents have on you? Obviously, they your parents fundamentally they kind of shape you. But are there particular things you feel like you learned from them, or you, you uh, took from them? I see a lot of similarities between you and your dad. Obviously. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Not necessarily character-wise, but in your interests, and you know, you're, you've been drawn to a similar profession. I think when I was when I was growing up, so before I got to about fifteen or sixteen years old, I was mainly into sport. That was like the main thing I, I was into. I think probably my dad had a, a lot to do with that because he was also very sporty when he was younger, and he's very talented. He can kind of play all the different types of sport, and so I think he was quite enthusiastic about playing sport and stuff with us. So me, maybe more than my brother who got into things like skateboarding, which, you know, it's not something my dad knew about, but I would play football like 24 hours a day. If I, if I had the chance at that period and and my dad would be always up for playing with me and we used to watch football together. I don't know. It's very hard to tell. It's very hard to tell kind of, I, I think there's just their interests probably influenced me so much like the the you know things like football with my dad but maybe with my mum I don't know I don't know really it's hard to explain yeah you don't know I just guess you're it's a kind of creative it's a creative family and uh, you know I could see that your your mum's very creative person as well and your brother so I can see born out of that environment that you grew up in I guess it was a lot of sort of creative play and rather than competitive type 
activity. Yeah, no, my brother was always very creative. And I remember lots of time spent basically just sort of hovering over his shoulder. So he would be sitting at his desk. And I'd just be watching what he was doing. This is normally how it went. And he would be doing something like making a model airplane, making a model airplane at his desk. So, you know, those old airfix yeah, yeah. models, plastic models of a Spitfire or whatever. So he would have ceiling as i remember that's right yeah he used to make them and it was quite fun just watching him make them but i would literally just be there standing next to him watching him whatever he was doing and it was always some creative thing and yeah he'd make all these airplanes and then he pinned them to the ceiling so there were like these airplanes hanging down from his ceiling and stuff i used to watch you know i spent a lot of time i think watching and listening as the as the youngest of essentially three boys in the house my dad my brother and me i was certainly kind of like and and my dad and, and my brother are very talkative they're quite sort of they can kind of they tend to dominate a conversation and so i would spend a lot of time listening to everyone else and not doing that much talking in fact i was never a confident speaker until many years later I, I I think famously, not that famous, but they say in my family that for a number of years, when anyone asked me something, I would just say, James, say it. I just expect, you know, I, I got shy and I'd let James do all the talking. So I don't know, lots of listening. My mum, it's hard to explain how she influenced me. I don't know, specifically, maybe a sort, sort, sort of thoughtfulness of some kind. She's a very thoughtful person and observant. Maybe that. I don't know, really. No, I think that's a good. I think that's a good, good description. I, I remember you as being definitely being sort of an observer, and you know, you were obviously absorbing and taking all this stuff in that later in life has sort of flowed out. I think it's yeah, maybe, maybe that's what happened. I wasn't very confident. I was never very confident as a kid, oh. and so I was more interested in doing things uh, like playing sports and playing music rather than I don't know. Didn't really know who I was. It takes ages to work out who you are, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I don't think anyone does really until kind of quite late in life. Often, yeah, maybe not even then. Sometimes, yeah. But tell me, look, we're we're ready for another tune. So, what's next up? Okay, so the next track I wanted something. So again, this is this is a song from my childhood, but it's also a song that I still listen to and enjoy to this day. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite all-time songs of all time and uh, so this is cheese and onions by the ruttles written by neil innes of course and so the reason i've chosen cheese and onions well i'm a huge fan of the beatles but i may be even as a, a bigger fan of the ruttles if that's possible but i love them so much so the ruttles yes was a film that was made by some of the members of Monty Python's Flying Circus. It's basically like the Beatles meets Monty Python. And it's a parody film of the Beatles. But the thing is, it's a parody done in the most affectionate way and in a very respectful way in terms of its accuracy, even down to the fact that Neil Innes was asked in about a two-week period to write 10 or 20 songs for the film. And he was asked to write 20, 10 or 20 sort of Beatle type songs. And he went away. He consciously decided not to listen to any of the Beatles music so that it wouldn't influence him too directly. But he wrote an album's worth of material that is just 
it's it's in the Beatles mode in the sense that it's kind of like meant to sound like the Beatles. But because Neil Innes is so clever, the songs stand up on their own, and I find them not only are they not only are they kind of part of the Beatles world. And George Harrison said that himself. He said that the Ruttles, it's all part of the soup. That they're all part of that kind of world of the Beatles. So for me, that it's like the Beatles in an alternate universe. But yes, I find the music funny, and there's a lot of like levity in the in in that. And when I listen to Ruttle music, it makes me smile. But also, I find the songs quite profound, not profound, poignant. I find the songs very poignant as well, and this one in particular is very poignant. It's written in the kind of John Lennon style. So with a sort of piano and vocals, nasal sounding vocals and stuff. And it's essentially, he's basically singing about cheese and onion crisps. And yet somehow it has a poignancy to it that it's hard to explain in the midst of the kind of tongue in cheek parody and the comedy and the poignancy of the feeling. There's just like the perfect mix of, of, of that sort of thing. I, 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 I like comedy. I like comedy music as well. And I like the fact that sometimes comedy music can be actually very meaningful. Not serious isn't the word, but poignant. So anyway, this is a song that again reminds me of my childhood, but it's one that I enjoy personally on, on many different levels. I like that. I like things that work on a number of different levels. Like a lift. Like a lift. So that was Cheese and Onions by the Ruttles as your second disc. Let's move on now to in the sort of next phase in your life. When you were, tell me how old were you? You grew up in Ealing in London, and but you moved to Solihull in Warwickshire when you were 10? I was nine years old when we moved. So we moved from pretty urban place. I mean, Ealing is sort of a suburb of London, but it's kind of just London as well, really. So definitely an urban place just on the edge of London. And we moved to essentially that it, it was pretty much the middle of nowhere. So a kind of little village between two towns in the Warwickshire or Solihull countryside, the, the little village that we moved to had virtually nothing in it. There was a, a, a park with a football pitch and some swings. There was a pub 
and there was a post office with a little shop attached to it and that was it and lots of fields yeah lots of fields lots of nothing it, it, you have to walk for 30 minutes to an hour to get to the nearest train station the buses would stop at half past three in the afternoon so the last bus would be the one bringing the kids home from school and then the buses would stop so it would very it would be very easy to be stranded out there and it was very very much a countryside sort of existence and quite remote quite a contrast to living just outside london yeah so that was different. In, that, in that phase of your life i remember a lot of i mean as as with all kids that's like the crucial phase when you shape your interests and that you start to get into the things that probably stay with you for life but in that period you kind of took up the drums and got into music i think so so yeah 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 like um about 11 years old i decided i wanted to start playing the piano because i had a little keyboard and i'd learned to play some tunes on it and i decided that i want to play the wanted to play the piano so my my parents were delighted with that and they paid for me to take piano lessons with a local teacher which was great and so i i had five really good years of being uh, like a great piano player making oh, progress and doing my exams i got to grade five and so i did you know i was able to concentrate and practice and stuff and i got quite good i don't think in terms of music i don't i don't it's hard to say what how i'm good at music i don't know if it's that i've got a particular talent in terms of being able to technically be good but instead i think i've just got a certain feel that I can put into the music that I play. And so that was nice. That came out. But anyway, yeah, when I got to about 15 or 16 years old, you know, I started to grow up a bit and I suddenly discovered that it was, I, I had lots of other better things to do than to practice playing the piano for an hour every day and, and play classical music and stuff. And I started discovering other types of music and um, suddenly was fascinated and interested by lots of other things. I mean, I remember when I was about 16, it was, I felt like sort of my brain switched on in a way. And I wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to go and play football. You know, it wasn't as basic as that. I suddenly started thinking for the first time and became aware that I was actually thinking about things and I became kind of deep man and things like that. And so I started get, becoming less interested in playing the piano, but luckily for us, our parents, my brother and I, uh, our parents had bought us a drum kit. I think they bought it partially for James because I had the piano. And so they wanted to encourage James to do something. So they bought the drum kit. Officially it was for both of us, but I think largely it was to encourage James to do something, but I started playing it and I got really into that. Plus at the same time, I got a cheap, bass guitar and started playing with those things so it became about playing the drums and playing the bass and a bit of guitar but yeah i just suddenly started getting into music the other thing was that i guess living in this house which felt a bit like the middle of nowhere you end up sort of becoming quite inward so there was quite a lot of time spent in my bedroom just working with like playing with my cds my cd collection and making a lot of mixtapes for people so again this is why like choosing only eight songs is almost impossible because if you're making a mixtape on a on a 90 minute cassette you've got about 16 songs to 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 play with at least so only eight i mean it's almost impossible also i started exploring my parents record collection and discovered lots of classic stuff in there. 
and that was really good so i don't know i don't know what i think during during that period as well because you for, for, for me from the outside i saw you getting into just all just all sorts of different types of media whether it was you were really into music it was stand-up comedy you were deeply into film and you obviously have a star wars obsession which i'm sure all your listeners are aware of <laughs> but um all sorts of different film but it was just sort of pop culture in general you were just sort of absorbing all of this mm-hmm. and became quite encyclopedic about your knowledge and i just feel that, that was that period of your life it feels like that all started to sort of bubble up and yeah just sort of became really fascinated and really interested in everything especially pop culture as you say music and films it just became endlessly interesting and fascinating interesting i guess just growing up you get to a point where some sort of intelligence kicks in and you start to be inspired you know and so i just got really into music and films my parents record collection helped but it was just like this sense that music could be really exciting and i discovered some new forms of music that i hadn't really discovered before like things like jazz stuff that had been around for ages anyway but just that when i listened to it it just felt like wow this is this is amazing this is the music for me i remember being introduced to different kinds of music beyond just the pop music that my parents had sort of played in the car and the classical music i'd played on the piano especially jazz and jazz funk and those other more obscure forms of music but i remember my introduction to that was like listening to dudley moore the dudley moore trio which was a record my dad had. Dudley Moore was listeners was a comedian from the sixties. He was like a satirical comedian. And then he became more of a sort of ridiculous comedian with Peter Cook, but he also played piano. So that was amazing listening to him. But then I got into the proper stuff, you know, like Art Blakey and, and uh, Miles Davis and, and things like that. Is that a moment to, to pause for your next? Right. Yeah, this, this does lead us to the next, my next song choice. This is just a, a piece of music that, again, comes from my dad's music collection. And I remember him playing it to James and me once, playing the whole album. And just it just sounded like the coolest thing ever. And it still does. I don't know how it's possible, but even when I listen to this music now, it's still as exciting and brilliant as ever. And this is just a piece of music I can just switch on. It's only about two and a half minutes long, but I can just get completely lost in it. I love the musicianship. It sounds like they just recorded it live in one take. So this is Booker T and the MGs, and the song is uh, called We've Got Johnny Wells, which is from the soundtrack to a a film called Uptight. And it's another instrumental one, but it's kind of, I don't know how to describe the music. It's kind of like funk music, but the guys were session players. They played on all of the Stax soul music stuff, but on their own, they just, I don't know, just brilliant. Like, And also the fact that you can clearly hear the instruments. There's a bass, there's a guitar, there's drums, and there's a, a Hammond organ, just four instruments. And they're incredibly tight, and it's just a joy to to just listen to it. So this just represents the excitement of discovering other forms of music, even stuff that had been around for decades, but was exciting and new to me. Okay, let's put it on.
that was We've Got Johnny Wells by Booker T and the MGs. So we were just talking about your time in, in Solihull in your sort of teenage years when you when you had a bit of an awakening to all the different things in sort of art and music and girls you were interested in. And, and girls as well, of course. Girls, of course. Well, it became, became, an, became an important factor. That, that, that included things like clothes and the way you behaved and the way you tried to kind of, you know, present yourself to the world. Suddenly I was, it was important what girls thought of me and I liked showing off. <laughs> is that right? Is that, is that something that sort of, bit, yeah, there was, there were a couple of years where oh, I decided, oh, oh I, I think I'm, I'm, I think I must be attractive to women now yeah. because, you know, you started to get interest from girls and that in turn affects your confidence and your outgoingness. So when I was at school, I was generally quite sort of, uh, a dull figure, I think in, in, on the scene, you know, I would generally try and sort of blend in with the furniture. I just didn't want any trouble, you know, cause at school, school can be, it's not tough, not like for some people, but to an extent it can be a bit tough when you get kids, there's a lot of competitiveness, a lot of bullying and people picking on each other. And for me, school was just an, ex- it was just a case of trying to just sort of blend in and get through. Uh, yeah, keep your head down, exactly, and just get through it. And then when I left school, I went to sixth form college. A lot of kids just stay on at the school that they're they're at and they do their A-levels at school, which is essentially still like being at school, but you don't wear a uniform. But I went to a sixth form college, which was a totally different place, and it was full of people who were 16, 17, 18 years old, so no little kids or anything, and no one wore uniforms. So in a way, when I started college, it was kind of like, a new beginning, a new beginning, a new start. And no, no one knew me. And so I started dressing differently and I suddenly kind of gained all this confidence from like leaving the annoying twats that I used to go to school with, kind of leaving all those people behind and going to sixth form was just brilliant because then, you know, I got into bands with friends of mine. I started experimenting with wearing different clothes. I used to go to the so the secondhand clothing markets, the vintage clothing markets and buy things like old seventies clothes and things like that. So that was cool. It was a cool period. Uh, yeah. And it was cool to kind of flirt with girls and that sort of thing. Maybe that's one of the reasons why I wasn't able to focus on playing piano for an hour every day. <laughs> Given my, prior- my priorities had shifted. Yeah, it gives you even more respect for these concert pianists who got through that difficult phase. Discipline. Went to John John Moore's University in Liverpool. Is that right? What That's the, right. because you, you kind of the big the big shift was going to um, college. And I remember. I remember. I remember from the outside. I didn't see you that often at that time of my life. But there was a there was a really big change. As you say, you gained lots more confidence and you started dressing differently and getting into lots of different things. And what was the transition to university like then for you? What what did you take from that experience? Actually, going to university was like a total shock. So actually, first of all, so I spent maybe a couple of years of just kind of living, 
I don't know how to describe it really, but just having the wonderful time of my life at Sixth Form College. And I spent quite a lot of time in the park next to the college rather than actually in the college, in the classroom, focusing on my studies. So I did, you know, reasonably well at GCSE level. That's when you're 16 or 15. And then at college, I was just was just having such a great time living that I didn't focus on my studies. And after two years in college, I got my exam results. And I remember going into college to pick them up. And I came back to the car park where my mum was. And I opened the envelope with her there. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was just sort of assuming that I was going to be all right and I'd get the results I wanted, even though my head was in the clouds pretty much. So I opened the envelope and the results were, well, the worst results of anyone I've ever known. No, I've, I challenge anyone to get worse A-level results than I did first time round. I still haven't met anyone who got worse results than me. It's a bit of a mystery in a way. Maybe it's not a mystery. Maybe it's just that I wrote such terrible essays that I got the results. But I still think there's some mysterious element to it. So I I got a, a D. Do you know? Do you know what my results were? Everyone's I, know, I know that it affected you quite profoundly, that experience. Yeah. So I got a D and then I got two U's. So a D is is not that bad com- in comparison to the others. I mean, it's still a pass, A, B, C, D. And then the other two subjects, I got U and a U. Now, a U is extraordinary because you got A, B, C, D. They're all passes. E is also a pass as well, actually. And then F is a fail. And then there's no G, H, I, J and whatever. It just goes to N, which is nothing, zero. N means zero. But then even below zero, you've got U, which means unclassified. And that is essentially like there's no number or letter. There's just a line, just a little horizontal line, a hyphen for your exam result. That's what I got twice. I got two. Class, what were those? I didn't know this story. What are those subjects? What were the subjects? So I chose some bizarre subjects. So I I took... Physical education was one of them, which is not just sport. It also involves, you know, things like physiotherapy and a lot of, you know, sports psychology and stuff like that. I got a D for that. And then the other subject. So one of them was social biology. Now, what I wanted to do was sociology, but they didn't offer sociology. So the next best thing was social biology. I I have no idea what that is. It's basically biology. But they focused on certain social things. So in, so they focused on things like maternity. And there was like a bit of sociology. It was basically about 90% biology, which, you know, involved understanding how plants drink water. How does water move from one cell of a plant to another cell of a plant? It's very sort of, it's quite, well, it's a science, isn't it? But there were right and wrong answers in that. Which yeah, it's just science. Wise and learn the facts and science. It's great. Science is great, but I mean, I just my seventeen-year-old head that was into jazz, funk music, and and Martin Scorsese films just wasn't in the right place to really kind of. It didn't have the discipline to study science properly. So I got a U for that, which actually I sort of understand. Even a U, though, because I did hand work in. I think that what happened is that in the exam, I, you know, if you remember from our exams, you had to actually do certain things right f- for the examiner to actually mark the exam. Yeah. 
So you had to write a little code in a little box. Do you remember? You had to write the number of the question that you were answering. You had to do certain little administrative things in order for the exam to be accepted. So I wonder if maybe I wrote the wrong number in the wrong box. And so the examiner was like, well, I can't mark this because administratively it's been done wrong. Um, and this is what I've told myself that how else could I get a U? Cause I remember in, in one of the exams, I, I thought I'd written a fairly reasonable essay. So anyway, the third subject I did was religious studies and philosophy. So for that one, I wanted to do philosophy, but they didn't do just philosophies. So they did religious studies and philosophy and re- religious studies involved, you know, the study, studying religions in some way. So one of the religions I studied was Islam. So I was studying things like, you know, the development of Islam and stuff like that. And also essays about the existence of God. So there was, there were the philosophical arguments around the existence of God. And so I wrote, one of the essays I wrote in my exam was about evaluating the arguments for and against the existence of God. And I thought I'd done a reasonable essay on that one, but apparently not you. Not even a number, not even a letter, just a maybe, just a line. Maybe it was someone religious who really took issue with your. <laughs> I don't. I didn't write anything controversial. Uh, I don't know, but anyway, it was a huge shock. It was a huge shock when I opened that envelope. My mum says that I, my face went grey because you know two U's and a D. You know, you're looking at your future, and especially when you just assume that you're going to be all right. But no, I I got it was such a huge failure. Yeah, I think probably compounded by the fact that you are a very intelligent guy who's from a very, you know, well-educated family who must have been like, what? And it does yeah, sound like a, an error of some sort. I am a very intelligent guy from a very intelligent family. You are. But, but, but yeah, that part of it was that my dad had done very well at school and had done very well at university. He got good A-level results. He went to Oxford University and got at least a two one, which is a good degree. And so there was a lot of sort of a lot of expectation, I think, for us to to follow in his footsteps. But not only did I fail to follow in his footsteps, I, I kind of essentially like chopped my own legs off so I wouldn't be able to make foot footsteps. Off. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that's like shocking. Like and and everyone always forgets. Like I'll never forget, but everyone else seems to forget. Like I'll say to my brother, Do you remember my exam results? And doesn't really remember my dad. I, 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 I appreciate that moments at that particular age as well where you have a, a very sort of profound moment to you that actually affects your whole sort of sense of your identity. And it was a huge thing because, because they, so like all my friends who were in the, my year all disappeared to university and I was left. I just remember just spending a lot of time on my own the year after and a lot of time of, of like um, sort of soul searching and, and, and knowing that I'm a failure, you know, like carrying like a quite a huge heavy failure yeah. um, on my shoulders and what so i think almost what it did to me was that because i had such a good time those two years and i'd been quite carefree and i'd been thinking about music and other things and that directly led to a huge failure that then i became very cautious and it knocked some confidence out of me and i wasn't quite as 
strident in terms of like going out and having fun and just doing the things that pleased me that I was suddenly was given this sense of like, I don't know, guilt or worry or concern that I was going to lead to, you know, that just enjoying myself would lead ultimately to failure in my life. And so it was a very weird thing where, I don't know. Yeah. There was always that lingering sense that I could just screw everything up at any time Yeah, that I probably was. It was a precarious existence. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we're, we're very privileged really. And I have, have nothing to complain about. I've had a very, very privileged life and some people struggle with all sorts of problems. So failing your A-levels is not really a major deal. But for me at the time, it felt like it was. Everyone else had disappeared. I spent a lot of time on my own in my bedroom and probably became a little bit too, I don't know, withdrawn or reclusive, um, rec- reclusive or something. Yeah, maybe. Or just in my own head. Spent too much time in my own head, probably. But then went to university and actually it was a shock because I went to Liverpool and I kind of got a place at university through clearing or something. It was quite a late process. And so the accommodation was quite hard to find in, in Liverpool. I ended up staying in the cheapest accommodation that, that my university offered. And it was several 1960s style tower blocks in one of the roughest parts of Liverpool. And Liverpool outside the centre can be a very rough, tough place. And so there, here's this soft kid from the Warwickshire countryside, like Frodo Baggins, um, transported to this tower block in the heart of Scotland, the Scotland Road area of Liverpool. And it was, yeah, it was a real shock. It was quite scary. I remember like two week, the, the two weeks after I moved there, my parents came to visit me, maybe brought me some stuff. And while they were visiting, we went out onto the balcony. So we were on the 11th floor. I was, my apartment was on the 11th floor. So 13 floors in this building, every single floor identical. So, and it was all student apartments. So you'd be in your apartment. If you visited the the same apartment, seven floors down, it's identical. It's just the same apartment, seven, uh, 13 times. Anyway, my parents came to visit. We were on the balcony having a look at the view. And then down below, this was a Saturday afternoon on the street below on the, the dual carriageway, a very busy highway. Suddenly all these football fans poured across the road and it was Everton fans chasing some Middlesbrough fans. And the, every, uh, the they caught the Middlesbrough fans in the middle of this big road and all the cars had stopped and stuff. And they proceeded to have a huge fight in the street below us. And my mum and dad were watching and there were guys like getting their heads kicked. People were throwing bricks at each other. They pulled wood out of a fence and they were smacking each other with this, with these bits of wood. Jeez. And then the police arrived and everyone dispersed, everyone disappeared except for one guy who was lying in the gutter of this highway after having had his head stamped on. He was just lying unconscious in the gutter and the police and ambulance arrived. He, he was all right in the end, but that was a bit, a bit of a wake up call of like, bloody hell, you live in a rough place. And it was rough. It was really, really rough and grim. And so that was, and also I wasn't really very well equipped to look after myself. I don't think I ate or cooked properly. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds familiar. It's like with, it was like with nail and I ultimately university life. 
it was it was like quite a lot of um mess no one doing the washing up not eating and, dr- and looking after yourself properly drinking too much beer and in the midst of it all trying to trying to make sure i didn't screw it all up like i screw, screwed up my a levels so i managed to do that ultimately i came out of it with a 2-1 and so thank god for that basically as well so tell us give us your next tune what's next? the next one well i had to pick one beatles song because i'm such a big fan and you know i went to liverpool and i think part of the reason i went to liverpool was because i was such a big beatles fan and it was very attractive to to go and be there but so which one though i mean it's almost impossible to pick just one beatles song there are so many i could have picked oh, which one you went for I could have picked something from from Rubber Soul because that is the soundtrack of I feel like when I was two years old, just kind of crawling around on the carpet or or something. But anyway, the one I've picked is called And Your Bird Can Sing, and it's from Revolver. But this is not really a typical Beatles sounding song, I think, compared to a lot of their stuff. It's got a slightly different sound. It's got that kind of jangly 1966 sound. So it's not exactly the typical Beatles song. But why? Why am I choosing this one? Musically, I just love the guitar part. That It's got a great melody in it. Normally, it's the bass line that I find interesting in Beatles songs. But this one, it's a guitar part. And it's George and Paul playing the same thing in harmony. So that's just really great. It's almost like kind of classical music level enjoyment of music where there's harmony and there's melody and it's just really really good but also i mean this is a john song and it's just got that kind of conviction to it the song is is just it's got so much conviction and righteousness but the good kind of righteousness there's a sort of righteousness which is like where people you imagine people being self-righteous and being arrogant with it or, or or something like this. But this is like John, he's convinced he's right. And he's, it's just flowing out of him. I think the song is about, it's, it's not clear what the song is about, but one thing I heard is that it's about Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra kind of arrogantly saying, I've heard all the different sounds and, you know, and kind of criticizing the Beatles generation and their music because at that time there was a lot of, a lot of innovation and the, the Beatles in particular were discovering new sounds and, you know, new boundaries and things. And I think that John had heard or read an interview with Frank Sinatra and Frank was kind of arrogantly maintaining his, his sort of dominance or something in, in, in the world of pop music and kind of dismissively describing John Lennon's generation as nothing special and saying, you know, I've, Hey, you know, cat, I've heard all the sounds and you, Hey, you say your bird can sing. Well, I can sing because bird was a slang word that, that Frank Sinatra and his mates would use. And so naturally John found this John who had at the time, you know, taken LSD and it had kind of given him this burning sense that he was right and that he saw the truth in, in the world. And you imagine that like John would have come up with this song or the lyrics fairly quickly before they honed it in the studio, but it just has that sense of just conviction, which is just really great to, it's to get, to get a flavor of it, you know, every now and then you can listen to this and it just fills you up with this sort of great sense of conviction. And then there's the music too. So that's what, that's the, tr- the, the track that I've chosen by the Beatles and your bird can sing. Great choice.
So that was And Your Bird Can Sing by the Beatles, one of my favourite tunes too. But I want to move on now. We've, you've graduated from university with a 2-1, which was quite an achievement under the circumstances of such a poor diet, I should imagine, and general self-care during that period. A lot of baked beans on toast, lots of cereal, cereal for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Oh, terrible times. The, um, the next major milestone, which I remember, which was a very bold move actually, was you... You took a job as an English teacher in Japan and moved yeah. so from from rural countryside to urban gritty Liverpool to then to Japan. What was your what was your experience like arriving in Japan? Because I, I thought it was quite a very distinct chapter in your life, probably. What was that? After university I was I honestly I was like quite lost. It was a bad time. I didn't know what I was doing with myself. I didn't know what I, you know, I couldn't imagine that I would now be living the life I'm living and that I'd kind of, you know, that I'm all right. But in those days I had no clue what to do. I could no vision at all for my future. And I just felt uh, a little bit un, like I wasn't really capable of living in the world. You know, I just didn't feel capable of really doing a great deal. I, d- I felt like my university life had not really socialized me. In fact, quite the opposite. I felt like I was a bit out of place and out of sorts and sort of mentally wasn't in great shape, I think, at the time after university. And I just didn't know what to do. And, and I desperately needed to, to find something. I remember speaking to someone who, again, I was doing work experience at the BBC arranged by my dad. And it was a horrible week. I just hated it. I just, I, it's too complicated to go into, but I wasn't very happy. And I remember at the end, the woman who was responsible for me, she sat me down and she said, so what do you, you know, what did you get out of this week? And I ended up kind of, we got into the fact that I didn't know what to do with myself. And she said, why don't you just travel, just go out and just have experiences, just go and travel, have experiences. You're young, you know, it'll take you a while to work out what you want to do. So she told me to do it. And I thought, okay, I will. And a, another friend of mine had told me that a friend of his was an English teacher and he painted this picture of his life and i thought this sounds amazing so it was like yeah he teaches english in the morning he lives in barcelona and he teaches english in the morning and in the, in the afternoon he goes to the beach and i was thinking this sounds fantastic <laughs> so it does doesn't it initially i thought i'm going to move to barcelona and i'm going to do that so i had to take a teaching qualification i did a teaching course called a certificate in english language teaching to adults which is the entry level qualification really hard really really hard you've got to study linguistics you've got to study english 
and you've also got to do lots of teaching practice. So there was lots of standing up in front of groups full of people um, and trying to teach them English. And that was a huge learning curve because at the beginning of that, I felt so awkward and so self-conscious. I didn't know how to stand up in front of a room full of people and talk to them, let alone teach them. I didn't know what to do with my hands. I didn't know if I should perch on the edge of the desk or if I'd stand up or sit on a chair. I didn't, I, I did not have control over my body or myself. And so it was very healthy to break out of that by being forced to break out of it, by being, being made to teach people and stand up in front of people. And it kind of broke me out of my funk sort of thing. But yes, I, I chose to go to Japan because I just thought, well, if I'm going to go abroad and do this, I might as well go somewhere totally different and far away. And there were lots of jobs available in Japan. So off I went. And on the flight there, I, I immediately regretted it. On the way over there, I had a huge crisis of confidence and thought, this is a huge mistake. What am I doing? I should be back home in England, focusing on my career, trying to get some job in the media. What on earth am I doing? This is a huge mistake. But when I arrived, I settled down because it's the same thing. I mean, it's like they, they've got the same stuff there. They've got gravity. You know, they've got Starbucks. Everything's pretty much the same, but it's not the same at all. It's like so different. Being in Japan, you swing between this is normal. Everything's just the same as it is back home. And then you swing to, no, this is totally different. They think in a completely different way. I, it's like a, I'm living in an alien planet. So, but that was, it was a wonderful experience going to Japan because first of all, I was teaching, working solidly eight or nine hours a day and teaching, teaching, teaching. So that was kind of, it took me out of myself forced me to be more outgoing but also it was just so different and I was away from my family which was quite nice I mean I love my family but it was important to kind of break out and do do my own thing and be my own self have my own experience that no one else was having and it was a huge thing for me it was a great experience I had many wonderful experiences there and it started me as an English teacher and it made me confident and happy so yeah there you go so i came you know i came back to london came back to england and continued teaching wasn't completely sure about the teaching until i joined the london school of english which is a decent school and i kind of really and, and i did the diploma in english language teaching to adults which is like the higher level qualification very tough again but it just totally sort of fixed me as a teacher and suddenly i was like right i am teacher man <laughs> all right let's have another two gave me a, a sort of sense of purpose and professional confidence so the the the, the next song the next piece of music i'm going to choose is something that makes me think of japan again almost impossible to choose just one song from a period in your life but i, I think i'll choose this one so it's cornelius and the song is tone twilight zone and this represents a certain kind of peacefulness and tranquility that you can get in japan that although it's a very busy hectic place in one way it's also a very tranquil peaceful place a sort of level of peace and tranquility and calm that i'd never i never previously knew existed even in my days of listening to ambient music um on headphones in my bedroom the sort of I don't know. There's just a certain vibe in Japan. I don't know if it's because of their religion, which kind of makes them Zen, but there is the Zen in, you can find it 
in Japan. It's just hanging around the place. You might just be in some cafe restaurant on an afternoon in a back street and suddenly you realize that you're tuned into a level uh, of calm, zen, peace and tranquility that you'd never ex- thought existed before. So this piece of music is a kind of ambient tone uh, piece by Cornelius. And it's it just represents that sense of calm, which was a wonderful thing to discover and and then learn to 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 tune into again later. I like ambient music. I like Brian Eno and stuff. I like standing in the kitchen drinking cup of, a cup of tea and just listening to something very calm and relaxing. It's very healthy, I think. So that's that's what this is, and that that represents the fact that I found some sense of peace in in Japan. All right, well, let's have a listen. So that was Tone Twilight Zone by Cornelius. So we've come back from Japan. You're in London. London, you were, the, you were saying you're at the London School of English, and this is a period when you're, you really started to get into your career as well and start to, I think, did you begin the podcast during this phase of your life? Yeah, so after teaching for eight or nine years, I started doing the podcast. And yeah, that was like also because I was working at the London School of English, which is a good school, and they gave me a special re- responsibility to look into using technology in English teaching. And I did actually do a, a quick online course in podcasting, which was paid for by the school. And it was the basics like file types and different platforms. And this is very early days really for podcasting. There wasn't a lot of infrastructure for it. But anyway, so I learned the basics of that. And I, I did produce a couple of episodes of a podcast for the London School of English, but they decided they didn't want it because the style I wanted to use for it was a lot more relaxed and personal and just authentic and natural. But they wanted something a bit more professional sounding, scripted. And I was like, nah, no thanks. Oh, wow. So I just did my, I just did my own thing. Just did it myself using my Apple Mac laptop and just didn't stop doing it. Where it ended. You, and there was another, I mean, I know in that period you started doing stand-up comedy and it was, you really started to, I think the, the, the confidence you brought back from Japan, maybe you started to actually enjoy the things that one had to offer. English teaching totally gave me confidence because 
all day, every day, I was just in front of people, not performing, although sometimes you kind of have to do things to keep things light, but just spending all my time essentially presenting all the time. That gave me confidence. And that's what allowed me to start doing stand-up if if i'd never if i'd never done teaching i wouldn't have been able to do it i mean a lot i saw a lot of other people on the stand up course that weren't really even capable of standing doing the standing up part like <laughs> seriously like they they didn't know how to stand in front of an audience of people they didn't know how to use their voice the body language was not coming naturally to them and you see some people, when they are put in front of a room full of people, their body starts to do weird things. Like people sort of physically close themselves off from the room, just instinctively. Other people, weird, weird, uncontrolled body language comes through. I remember one guy, he would stand there and his head would wobble while he was talking. He couldn't stop doing it, but his head would wobble and he couldn't make eye con- contact with the audience. So what was I saying? It was teaching that kind of like just I, when I went up, I, I just grabbed the microphone and just felt comfortable. Even if I wasn't comfortable or if I didn't know what I was going to say, you know, I didn't really have anything to say so much, but I just felt like the, 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 the vehicle for it was quite well, dis- well made. So I was able to stand and feel quite comfortable standing up in front of everyone. And I was like, yeah, this is great. I could do this. But then finding the comedy was the, was the difficult thing. I managed to, to do it. But anyway, teaching is what gave me confidence to do those things. So yes, it was, there was a time of like doing things, projects and, and trying to, trying to do something weirdly like again although i was a teacher and i'd been one for 10 years or whatever i guess i was still trying to break into media or broadcasting in some way and i ended up doing it as we've said on my own terms using this podcast yeah well give us a let's have another tune okay so actually that i've it was it was a really difficult one to whether i'd keep this one or choose something else there are so many different candidates for for this list of eight but i've gone with this one so this one is hold on just just make sure that i'm saying this name yeah so this is patrice russian and it's called to each his own and for for ages I've been struggling to to work out how to describe why this song is so meaningful to me, but it is. I'll put it on, and and like first of all, it's just a really good groove. I like the drum beat and the bass line and the keyboards. I just it's just a really nice groove to listen to and get into. But for some reason, the lyrics always get to me. I don't know why. They sort of start to make me emotional. They're not like particularly brilliantly written lyrics, but it's just all about how we shouldn't judge each other or we shouldn't all judge each other too much. And we should let each other live our lives. And I don't know, whenever I try and put it into words, what it means to me, it just ends up sounding quite banal, but essentially it's all about just, I just wish that we would respect each other all a lot more in this world and, and just let each other do the things that we want to do without imposing expectations or judgments or other things on it. Don't know. Putting it into words doesn't do it justice, but it's just a, I just love this tune. I love the bass on it. And so this is yes to each his own by Patrice Russian. 
who is not Russian. I think she's English. No, she's American. <laughs> <laughs> let's listen to let's listen to Patrice Russian. Russian is spelled R U S H E N, listeners. Patrice Russian. his own by patrice russian so i want to talk a little bit about your move to paris then so this started on valentine's day i don't know what the year is you probably day before day before valentine's day to 13th of february 2010 2010 so this is when you met your your now wife is that right that's right and a, and a major major change ensued so t- tell us a bit about that that period where quite quickly i think you i don't know did you, you were you in a long distance relationship for a while there yeah so she was in london you know because you were there at the restaurant when we met in fact that particular evening as we know was the the evening before valentine's day so valentine's day was going to be the sunday the 14th and it was saturday the 13th i was at home potentially playing red dead redemption on my playstation i think and probably just like had decided, no, I'll be staying in tonight to do this. You called me at about five o'clock, I think, something like that, and said, hey, what are you doing this evening? And you told me that basically our your friend, our friend Steve Borg, otherwise known as Borgie, also known as Corgi, that he was going to be having dinner in Knightsbridge, which is not far from where I used to live, and that his his girlfriend would be there and that she was bringing a friend of hers and that the the friend of hers was also bringing two of her housemates so it was basically come out tonight there will be girls and i was like oh all right then yeah i think there was a bit of persuading needed you did have to persuade me because i was quite committed to spending a nice comfortable evening in in front of my playstation 3 shooting people in in the wild west yeah and then as i remember i i went home early and you stayed out all night pretty much that's right so so yeah but i mean you you hadn't been too well but yes so we went for the dinner i ended up sitting next to my wife which was a coincidence isn't it um she wasn't my wife at the time obviously but yes i ended up sitting next to her and we kind of got on with each other 
there was chemistry and we went from there to another place. I mean, it's testament to how keen I was on her that I was willing to go to the places, you know, to, to the other places we went to. Going out in Knightsbridge is not normal. I mean, I'd never, ever go out in Knightsbridge. It's one of the poshest, most expensive parts of London. And that's where you find Harrods the famous shop uh, where you can do things like buy a mouse covered in diamonds for about 200,000 pounds. That's the sort of thing. That's the sort of marketplace that we're talking about. So we went out in Knightsbridge and then, so after the meal, they were going to go to a bar or a club and you, you bailed, you, you went home and I was like, I'm going to stay. I think I'm going to stay out actually. And so I did. And we went to this horrendous club in i guess south kensington or something just a horrible place <laughs> just my the sort of place i would I, I would never normally go full of sort of millionaire 20 somethings yeah trustafarians or people who've just got way more money than sense and like to give you an example a flavor of the place we walked in they were playing loud music of course because it was a club but I don't know why, but there was no bass and the treble was turned all the way up to the max. So it's just like no bass, you know, normally in, in like nice deep bass sounds in a nightclub. There was no bass at all. And the treble was so loud. It was almost like really painful on your ears. And I was thinking, what's the matter? Don't rich people like bass? What's going on? I don't know. But anyway, so I endured this place and, you know, because I was keen on, on my wife and basically she she was in london after having done her university like postgraduate university stuff she was spending a little while in london and i met her like just two weeks before she was due to go back to paris so we saw each other for those two weeks but then she went back to paris and we continued our relationship but a sort of long distance not that it's that far because there's the Eurostar, but still well let's have another let's have another disc Okay, so the, this this track, the, the the last two songs on my list are sort of for my wife or remind me of, of her. So I guess I'm going to play, this is a piece of music from the Bach Cello Suite number one in G major by Yo-Yo Ma, performed by Yo-Yo Ma, but it's the Bach Cello Suite. And so this is one of the pieces of music that I listened to when I was with my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time when I was with my wife during those two weeks. In fact, I remember lying on her bed. She was downstairs talking to her flatmates, but I was lying on her bed and she put this on the stereo and it's wonderful. I mean, bark is pretty, pretty classic stuff, isn't it? Literally, but it was amazing. And I, I liked classical music, but I hadn't really spent time listening to classical music since I had played piano all those years before. And so I remember lying on the bed, just taking in this music and it's just amazing. It's so rich and it's so just wonderful, amazing musicianship by Yo-Yo Ma, but just the com composition is amazing. And this particular passage from that suite is one that will always make me think of my wife and I won't say any more, but it's, Beautiful music. Well, let's listen to it. Mm -hmm. 
was the Bach cello suite number one one in G major uh, track five so finally so we're in Paris we're back to the present day now yeah and you are living the life as you said at the beginning that's right yeah you are living with your now wife with your daughter tell us just a little bit before we come to your final song this is a this is a different period in your life what has fatherhood how has that affected your your sort of worldview and um, how's that experience been? Not as not as much as I had expected. I thought it would just totally explode my life, but I'm still the same person. Uh, it's just that I've got this little child now who who I'm responsible for, along with my wife. So just to try and be brief, I think it was George Harrison who said that having a kid is 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 amazing because, first of all you live the life of the child in a, in a way you kind of relive your childhood because you see things through, through your child's eyes, but also you, it gives you perspective on what it was like for your parents. So it allows you to see the world through your father's eyes as well, because you're now the father. So it's weird. It gives you so much perspective because yeah, you see things from the child's position, but you also see things from your father's position. So you're also sort of in the middle and you've got the younger generation below you and the older generation above you. And you seem to get insights of the experience of both of those people as well. So it's a very odd and wonderful thing that you suddenly get like you, the perspectives of three people rather than one. That's so true. Exactly. Oh, well, it's, um, it's a magical period and she's, uh, no, she's, a, she's still, still very young. And you have to you have to savor this savor this time, and and doing what you do is such a great way of balancing. I think. Yeah, I get to spend a lot of time at home. I get to spend lots of time with my daughter. It's fantastic. You're very lucky. Okay, so let's have your final choice. What have you gone with? So the final choice is another one for my wife, and it's it's just a song that we've listened to together many times, and a song that is just a touchstone for the two of us, and it's just. I can't say much more. The me- the lyrics are meaningful, but in slightly different ways for the two of us. But in any case, it's just a song that just makes me think of her. And it's something that uh, we used to listen to. And it's it's called uh, Rule My World by Kings of Convenience. And Kings of Convenience were a group I, was, I got into around the time I met my wife. And I introduced them to her and she really liked them too. And uh, beautiful harmonies. They're extraordinary, actually. I love the way they play guitars and harmonize together. Uh, So this is Rule My World by Kings of Convenience. You set yourself about That all-forgiving God You claim that you believe in You 
your kind is gonna fall. Your ship is sinking fast, and all your able men are leaving. Only someone who's morally superior can possibly and honestly deserve. Well, that was Rule My World by Kings of Convenience. So I'm going to cast you away on this, um, I'm going to maroon you on this desert island. And what do you like in your own company? Do you think you'll thrive? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm okay. I think I'll be okay on my own. I've spent lots of time on my own. I'm all right in my own company. I, I think I'll be all right, even though I'll miss everyone. And I won't be able to see, and I might starve to death. Save just one of these discs if they were being well. Impossible, impossible to save just one. I'm going to save the Bach cello suite just because I feel it's unexplored. I haven't fully explored it, and there's a lot of depth in there. I think it's like all types of music, and there's just so much complexity and depth to discover. So I think it's something I could listen to again and again. And of course, it's going to make me think of my wife. Perfect. Good choice. It's, it's certainly lasted longer than any of your other choices. It's understood a longer test of time. Yes, that's true. It is the oldest piece of music in the, in the list. And, um, so you've got two other things you need to decide upon. One is you've got the, the English Oxford dictionary. Is that right? Rather than the Bible. Yeah, I've given people the dictionary rather than the Bible. But I, I mean, I, I gave people that choice. But actually, a lot of people would rather choose the Bible than, than the dictionary because the dictionary is not exactly an entertaining read, is it? Page one, A, aardvark, you know, like uh, at least the Bible's full of stories. So, I, yeah, maybe I'll go for the Bible. And I would choose The Lord of the Rings as my book. I mean, that's not the most in, uh, exciting or interesting or original choice. But nevertheless, it's a book I, that brings me joy whenever I read it. And I like to read it a lot. Like every couple of years, I'll read read it. I'll, I'll just start I start reading it, and I get glued and hooked into it. It's just very entertaining. It's long, so there's plenty to enjoy, and I just like getting lost in the world of of Middle Earth. And it's it's brought you know I, f- I feel that there's a lot of stuff to learn from it too. A lot of character based stuff about the challenges that the characters go through. I found it particularly inspiring. So that's the book that I would choose. Very beautiful. Plus, it would remind me of the countryside in Warwickshire where Tolkien grew up or spent time as a, as a child. Yeah. Yes. And I've got a luxury item, don't I? Uh, your luxury item. So my luxury item, I've, I've thought about this, and this is easy. It's a, it's a drum kit. So the, it, it, I would want, you know, like a, at least a one, two, three, four or five piece drum kit, please. Something like a Stuart Copeland's hammer kit maybe like a signature kit by Stuart copeland or something and i would put up the i'd set up the drums on a cliff top or on the on the seafront on my desert island and i would just play i'd just beat the rhythm of the universe just be able to just play and and play drums to the sea to the whales to the to the stars at night as the sun goes down as the sun comes up i could just be beating out my rhythms and I think I can't think of much else I'd rather be doing than that. It does sound it does sound like a lot of fun. Well, thank you. That's your list. We're going to cast you away now. 
And uh, you should have asked for a podcast kit so your listeners could continue to hear. From Is that allowed? Well, no, I'll go with the drum kit. I just want to just just play the universal language of, of music. Well, it's been a pleasure guest hosting and hearing about your life. Um, next time you'll be back in the driving seat. That's right. Thank you for guest hosting this episode. You're welcome. It's, it's been all right. I, I was. I, I thought that doing marooned with my music as we're calling it i just thought that's going to be self-indulgent and, and uninteresting but it's helpful to have someone guiding you through yeah so thanks for just seeing people will be fascinated i'm sure For listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.